0: This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, April 20th of 2017, it's episode 109. In this episode, Cressy Woodward joins us to discuss visual character descriptions and clothing for our characters, plus apps to enhance tabletop role-playing, our new Weekend Reading series, Mystery Science Theater 3000, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game, I'm Grant.
1: I'm Peter. I'm Jenny. And
0: I'm Chrissy. Hey, my wife's back.
1: I think this might be the uh, shortest time between a guest host coming on the first time and returning, so congratulations, (laughs) you're a record setter. Yeah, absolutely.
2: (laughs) In fairness, I am readily available.
1: And very easy to schedule
0: with. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, not easy to find a spot in the schedule, necessarily, but fairly easy to coordinate things with.
2: Yeah, (laughs) We do talk occasionally. Once or twice. Whether we need to or not.
0: Chrissy's back. You may remember that we had her on along with a couple other folks to talk about fitness, but now we're back to talk about other cool stuff. Real quick, for those who haven't heard that part of our backlog, introduce yourself.
2: Hi, I'm Chrissy. Obviously, I'm Grant's wife, stay-at-home mom. Um, I am a theater major who specialized in costume design, which is why I'm here tonight, Um, I also do fitness and cooking and other things to amuse myself. I'm not super interesting right now because I have two small children.
0: I I find (laughs) you pretty fascinating.
1: You're required to. True. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's written down somewhere. (laughs) As somebody who games with these two on a weekly basis, this is pretty much what their dialogue sounds like all the time, by the way. It's very entertaining.
2: (laughs) Very cute. We're here to be a blessing.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. As Chrissy said, She's here to talk about costuming, because we're going to be talking about aspects of visual character design and trying to describe that at the table and think about how appearance can factor into games and characters, NPCs especially, all that sort of stuff. A couple of quick notes before we get into that, though. We've hit a milestone on our Patreon campaign. So first of all, thank you, all of you. That means that we have started a new thing on our website. Those of you who don't get out to our website very often and don't follow us on social media, you may want to start doing so because we are, every Friday, putting out what we're calling our weekend reading posts. This is something Jenny, Peter, and I are all contributing to. We're all trying to put a couple of things in there each time. And this is things that we have found on the internet, generally in the past week or so, that we think you will find fascinating they're usually articles usually in-depth sort of stuff sometimes there's other media and sometimes it's just hey here's a really cool thing that might have slipped by
1: yeah jenny and i have both recommended books for instance
0: right Mm -hmm. and i think in the one that's coming out tomorrow which will have dropped by the time this goes out and who cares about spoilers it's neat stuff on the internet not you know plot stuff you're putting out uh, a link to a video for example yep But it's stuff that we think you will find not just cool, but intellectually interesting, which is the sort of thing we like to promote around here. There's stuff there from all of us. We've got it broken down by host. To start with, we're kind of aiming for, or at least I'm kind of aiming for, something that's specifically Christian thought, something that's specifically gaming-related, whether that's an article about gaming or some cool gaming thing that people ought to know about. Like, I think I linked a Kickstarter in the first one. Uh, and then something else that's just really cool, like the one I'm linking tomorrow is 70s and 80s Chicago gang business cards.
2: Let that sink in.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're these business cards that carry gang names, uh, the gang members nicknames Old English typefaces and doggerel slogans and indications of which gangs they are rivals with and what kind of illegal services they provide. They're these handmade things because these are from the 70s and 80s, well before you could even go to, you know, a store and get business cards printed in bulk, much less, you know, Vistaprint or something. And so they're handmade, you know, maybe on high school print class equipment, all this weird stuff. And they're fascinating cultural artifacts and also really cool props for any sort of game set in that era of Chicago. Stuff like that, right? Weird little things that I think people will go, wait, what? And get interested in. (laughs) That's a thing? (laughs) Right. Apparently. (laughs) So that's what we're doing. And it's thanks to you because we hit this $60 a month milestone. Which is enough for us to really start being able to put some stuff into the show and also help pay for people who can go to conventions this year to defray that cost and make it more likely that we can get to other cons.
3: And also help to uh, improve my sound quality, because I've heard a few people being like, hey, why doesn't Jenny sound like the rest of them? And that's because I am working off of a headset mic right now. So, um... It's it's not as not fancy. much
0: longer though. Yeah, we need <laughs> yeah. to make that happen soon. Anybody else got anything we want to talk about? Mm, not particularly. Okay, I mean, Chrissy and I could talk about how good the new Mystery Science Theater 3000 is, but that could just be a whole podcast. So
3: I I could talk a little bit about that too, but I've only seen the the first the first one so far. So uh. oh oh,
0: Cry oh Wilderness Boy. is
2: amazing. It's the second one.
0: Okay. Yeah. Like the first one, not to derail us too much. Yeah, this is Mystery Science Theater 3000. This is what I wanted out of a new MST3K. It feels like a new season of the same show. That's great. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the comedy was it was pretty good. It's like, yeah, all right, that was a middling MST3K episode, but it's good to have it back. The next one had us laughing for a week.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so,
0: I've right seen then. a
1: few episodes of that from Back in the day, so this is something I should definitely prioritize, huh? Yeah, it's, yes.
0: it's great. Yeah. Uh, the third one was pretty decent as well, but boy, that second one. Whew.
3: Yeah. I also find it better social viewing than just like sitting down and, and marathoning it. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know if anybody
0: finds it is that too. but exponentially better with more people. Mm-hmm. All right, enough about that. Let's get on to our Patreon question couple of things on this as well. I keep being full of notes, and I'm sorry. We've changed things up a little bit. In the past, we've been like, hey, once we read your question, send us a new question. That kind of puts a lot of work on our listeners, which isn't really fair since you guys are being rewarded, and we don't want you to feel like you have a responsibility. So... As you think of questions, go ahead and send them to us. We've now got a system in place where we can keep a backlog, and it'll, roughly speaking, keep your question queue in chronological order, assuming I add them (laughs) in the order they come in. So, you know, send them in the same way you have been, and we will add them. But don't worry about listening to the show and then going, oh, now I need to think of one. If you think of, like, three in a week and don't think of any for a while, just send them in and we'll, you know, we'll work with it, because it'll automatically feed those into our little system here. Next thing... I found a bunch of questions that we'd missed for months, which I apologize for. That is entirely my fault. Um, A couple of folks had created a a thread on our Patreon community section, and there were a bunch of questions in there. So that has all been added to our backlog. And kind of to apologize for that, I'm not going to roll this week. I'm going to pick one of those questions that we have been missing for a while because they haven't had a chance to roll, assuming you you guys are okay with that.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds fair.
0: All right. Good. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. And this one is from G-Factor. That's the only name we've got, but that's fine. Are there any electronic apps or devices that you think enhance the play experience of a traditional tabletop RPG? Yes. Okay.
3: Patrick's dice rolling app. I, I was just about to say, dice rolling apps are incredibly useful. I, I can think of from like, the GM's perspective, like... I have played in the past with people who are the worst, or, or were, they are much better now, were the worst metagamers I've ever met. Uh-huh. As in, like, they would see, um, like, the GM would give us some sort of monster that they'd made up or whatever, and the other players around the table would see what dice they were rolling for, uh, like, uh, damage or whatever, and they would occasionally, not often, be able to deduce from that and from a few other cues exactly what stats the GM was using and then from there they'd just be like, oh you just stole these stats from such and such a monster we can, we can now metagame the ever living heck out of this and mm-hmm. it just made for a really awkward thing. I've also uh, had a lot of success using Roll20 for just in general long distance gaming.
1: Love Roll20 Yes. yes. That was going to be one of my suggestions That was actually going to be my only suggestion <laughs> <laughs> Because we've been using it for our uh, D&D game because, hey, we're spread out over three different states, so you kind of need something like Roll20, and the map functionality works well, the die roller works well, eh, the VoIP functionality doesn't work nearly as well, but eh, we get around that by just using uh, Google Hangout.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, VoIP solutions are not difficult to find these days. Yeah.
2: I just love our friend Patrick's dice rolling app because every time he rolls a natural 20, there's a chorus of angels. So everyone knows he has succeeded.
0: Yeah. Like your handles Messiah. Hallelujah. And it's amazing because he's just using the it on his phone. We don't know what he's rolling. Then all of a sudden we just hear this choral sound. And it's like, oh. And everyone, oh. At, the, and everyone at the quote unquote table cheers. Yeah. <laughs> because we
2: know he rolled well.
0: <laughs> it's That's pretty fantastic. great. That's amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. Patrick is um, running our fellowship game, and it's going very well. It's kind of funny, Jenny, just very quick tangent. I'm going to get back to the apps thing in a second. Last time, uh, you'd mentioned that your GM was on break, and so you didn't have any gaming to talk about. Yeah. This week, our GM is on vacation, and we don't really have gaming to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> So I,
3: I hope he's having a good time. Yeah,
0: <laughs> he is. His vacation, I believe, is stay at home, have friends over, and do a week straight marathon of board games. Wow. It's kind of awesome, and I wish I could be there. But hey, apps. So yeah, Roll20 is good. Dice rollers are good. I honestly feel like these days having a tablet at the table is totally fine. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a question of what you're using it for. If you're using it to distract yourself from the game, no good. One of the things I do for our D&D game is I find images that match pretty closely and show them to the rest of the group to set the mood. Or because we're not all in the same place, I'll find images from the monster manual and pop those up. Or occasionally like sketches that people have done of monsters and pop those up yeah you <laughs> also
1: did that with floor plans during our shadow run game as we were that was kind of heist oriented, so we had right. maps to work with for that, and that was very useful, sure and that's mm-hmm. something you would expect at the table. Yeah.
2: you also fact check if it's something that your real world knowledge does not match up with the in game knowledge yeah. a character needs, yeah. You and, can use the internet to fact check and make it more realistic for mm-hmm. the players,
0: right? Because realism is kind of a big thing in my game, or at least mm-hmm. not like a strict dedication to realism, but plausibility.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: that's important for the kind of game that I run, and I think having a a tablet or even a phone uh, for that sort of thing is great. A tablet just so I can you know hold, I could hold it up and show everyone, hey, this is what a kinku or a shogoth or whatever looks like. And um, then
2: Peter and Grant use Twitter fairly Mm -hmm. heavily during our game to do the quotes of the night
0: yeah and that's a funny thing because i can see how for some people that would be really distracting for peter and i it's kind of a way of engaging because when the spotlight is off us it's a way to say hey here was a cool moment and Mm -hmm. sort of embed it a little bit and share it around with each other and with other people you know it plays up how cool the game is and increases engagement (laughs)
1: <laughs> and I mean, it, we are the hosts of a podcast about role-playing games, so it does seem appropriate to live-tweet the game a little bit, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah.
0: you know, even outside of that, I like the, hey, we're doing a cool thing Yeah, idea. And
2: it's also <laughs> fun to look back and see mm-hmm. just these random little moments of hilarity. I have a sheet of paper where I was writing down the quotes of the night from our game yeah. before I had Twitter. <laughs> And I still look at it and laugh.
1: I would like you to photograph that sheet of paper and send it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, Okay, actually, that's something else. This sounds dumb. Having a phone at the game is great for taking a picture of how things were when you wrapped up the session.
3: Oh, yeah. We did that a lot when I was in university, and we we had to game in a public area, so we could only be there for a couple hours at a time. And then we'd have to clear everything out, put all of the chairs back in order, and return various pieces of furniture to rooms where they'd been and stuff. And it just, we had a very changeable area. and So having the camera right there to be able to take a picture, this is what it was, and and then we have that documented.
0: Especially when you have like a, a, a tabletop battle map or something. It's like, okay guys, I've got a picture of how things are, I'll set this back up next time and we'll be good to go. We can just pick it right up. None of this uh, were you here or here? Where, where were things? None of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually do this at work. Like, if we've had a, a whiteboard-heavy meeting, we'll take a picture of the whiteboard, and, you know, as we go back to our office so that we have those notes.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Another app that I've found useful, at least in terms of map-making, I, I mean, if your game doesn't use maps, this is pretty much useless to you. But, um, I find that World Painter, it's a, so, like, an extension to Minecraft is really good for just like generating a world and then letting you sculpt it and then on top of that it happens to just be fun to mess with it's really good for top-down stuff you can also then export that map into Minecraft so that you can, and I generally do this in creative mode so that I can just like fly around it, but then you can get like side view so you can see the actual height and depth of mountains and hills and valleys and stuff. World Painter is a very useful tool for that kind of thing that I like a lot.
0: And the last one I'm going to recommend is Incarnate, which is I-N-K-A-R-N-A-T-E. Again, link this in the show notes. This is the map app you use? This is the mapping app I use. It's um, web-based and... You kind of just paint layers of texture on and off, which is really handy because you have this very lovely looking set of textures. You just put down randomly generated mountains and trees, and it, uh, but they're hand drawn, so it looks. It has this very fantastic look. They are slowly developing other stuff for this right now. It's really just a, a specific kind of fantasy map, but if you're doing that, it is amazing and excellent for what it is. Mm-hmm. So more than I think people probably thought at the start, <laughs> we brought <this> question up, <laughs> then, all of these tools have just sort of integrated into how we do things in many ways. Mm-hmm. And that includes tabletop gaming, which is still analog, but there's these things we can do to ease that process and smooth out rough spots.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely. So yeah, great question. Thank you. Go ahead and send us another one because I know G Factor, you don't have another question in our backlog. Go ahead and send that in and any other questions you might have. And everyone else, if you want to send us questions, if you're not already supporting us on Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com savingthegame. Any amount gets you this same level of access, and we really appreciate it. Let's move on, shall we? We've got some scripture to read and then a big old topic to tackle. Who wants to take this first one from Genesis?
3: I can do that. So the first bit of scripture is from Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 to 7.
2: Fashion a breast piece for making decisions, the work of skilled hands. Make it like the ephod, of gold, and of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of finely twisted linen. It is to be square, a span long and a span wide, and folded double. Then mount four rows of precious stones on it. The first row shall be carnelian, chrysolite, and beryl. The second row shall be turquoise, lapis lazuli, and emerald. The third row shall be jacinth, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row shall be topaz, onyx, and jasper. Mount them in gold filigree settings. There are to be twelve stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the twelve tribes.
1: And this is Isaiah 53, verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him.
0: And finally, we have James chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 my brothers and sisters believers in our glorious lord jesus christ must not show favoritism suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say here's a good seat for you but say to the poor man you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts Our topic tonight is kind of about visual character representation, all the elements that go into that, and how to express that at the table. I gotta be honest with you. Character portraits and minis are really cool artifacts, and we all like sharing them on the internet, and we all like having them, but I am not sure that they don't hurt the game in certain ways. And I know that's a sort of controversial opinion, because they're cool things that everybody loves... I am not sure they're the best thing for the kinds of stories we like to tell. Okay, why? Well, here's the thing. Have you ever created an image for your character? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Have you been able to think of them visually as anything else after doing that?
3: Occasionally, but only after like a very major change. Otherwise, they're very much like a like that cartoon character that never changes clothes ever. It's It's just a very static thing.
0: That's the problem I have, too. They lock you into what the character is at that moment in time, often at the start of a game when you've got, like, you know, it's like, well, I found this art for my character, or I made some art for my character, or I got a mini that represents my character, and they've never changed that appearance at all. And it doesn't just affect you as that character's player, it affects everyone else at the table. When you say, so this is what they look like, that's it. It's also, depending on your artistic ability,
2: you're really constrained by what you can find online or what you can find on Hero Creator or whatever you're using. You may not have exactly what you're picturing, and you have to start compromising Mm -hmm. and picking, well, this is close enough. This is kind of the color. This is kind of the shape.
1: (laughs) This is kind of the hairstyle. This is kind of the facial hair. This is kind of the right eye color. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. And you end up with something that's kind of your character, but it's not really what you were picturing in your head to start with.
1: Right.
0: And I don't want to badmouth these too much, because I also love looking at other people's character art. And minis are really cool, and they're fun to paint, and when you've got a good representative mini on the table, it feels awesome. But I want to help us break away from the idea that our characters have a single static appearance that lasts throughout the whole game. Not locking ourselves into that is the first step, but also being able to describe appearance changes succinctly or describe how a character looks like an NPC very succinctly so the game can move forward is really valuable. And that's why I was delighted to be able to ask my wife to come on because you're good at this sort of thing and you know a lot about clothing, especially, but also, you know, hair, makeup, tattoos, piercings, all of these individual things that change how a person looks. People change. I do not wear the same clothes every day. I would make a terrible video game character. I would make a terrible (laughs) miniature. I wear sort of similar stuff every day because I have my style and that's something we're going to talk about, but it's never quite the same. And I feel like our NPCs and player characters should do that too. There's another piece of this... I think players often don't want to change how their character looks for some practical and some emotional reasons. I have been in games, not necessarily tabletop games, but actually uh, MUDs, multi-user dungeons, online text-based games, with that one player who does nothing but describe how they look. (laughs) It takes I remember that from
1: some role-playing chat rooms back in the late 90s.
0: It takes forever and nothing gets done. Mm -hmm. Also, I think that there are some games that only track appearance as a characteristic, and that's kind of bad. It's like, how do I look day to day? Some days I look kind of fugly. Some days (laughs) I look pretty good. It depends what I've done with myself. You know, how recently have I showered? Comb my hair. When did I
1: last get a haircut? Did I bother to shave this month? Things like that. Yeah, am I wearing nice clothes that have been ironed and selected for, you know, professional appearance? Or am I painting today? So do I have a ratty shirt and some paint-stained pants on?
0: Yeah, have I been Mm -hmm. out in the yard all day?
1: Yeah. My appearance changes
0: drastically, and yet I think there are some games, those games that bother to track appearance at all often have a single static value, and that never changes, and there are assumptions that are locked in on that. And finally, I think, I I fear that there are players out there who feel that they cannot change clothing in-game because the only relevant clothing is their armor. And there's a certain sort of player that fears giving the GM any opening where they might not have their maximum armor value at all times or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. It's the guy who sleeps in his armor all the time because, oh man, no, if I take my armor off, the GM's going to ambush us.
3: Or insists on wearing full plate armor in a teeny tiny cave with like very small entrances to each room. My mom actually dealt with a player like that by creating a magnetic pillar in the middle of a dungeon room. So his character literally just got stuck to it until he took all his armor off and he couldn't take his armor off the pillar. Your mom has the best solutions to problems. great. She does. She might've talked
0: about that on that episode. She did back episode 10.
3: She probably did. It was a pretty glorious moment.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. There's a reason why I try and get into at least one of her games every Fear the (laughs) God. Yeah, but, okay, first of all,
0: we could probably also do a pretty lengthy aside about the absurdity of trying to do anything in armor other than
1: fight. Yeah. Just do a little (laughs) research. It's a terrible idea. And by (laughs) the way, that includes modern ballistic body armor, too. Like, even what, even the concealable stuff that cops wear a lot of the time is heavy, it's hot, um, it doesn't breathe well, it's constraining, it's not very comfortable. I remember mm-hmm. when I was doing my, um, internship back when I thought I wanted to go into law enforcement myself and being back at the police station at the end of a ride along with the officers and they were taking their ballistic vests off and you just hear like this, Oh, <sighs> they did release the last of the velcro because it's like being in it like a 40 pound straight jacket for eight hours straight and that mm-hmm. is to say nothing of say modern swat
0: tactical armor or, or the of riot armor Firef- or firefighters yeah. firefighters yeah. yeah
2: my brother was wanting to be a firefighter and he had a friend who let him try on some of the gear and do one of the training courses and justin said pretty much once you put the mask on over 50% of your field of vision is gone. He's oh, like, wow. when you go into Burning Building, you can literally see maybe 20% of what's going on around you. You just have to know what to do.
0: Yeah. But there's this this tendency, I think, as a, a failsafe against problematic GMs or problematic GMs they used to have. I don't want the GM to get me. So I'm going to try and do everything in my armor. When really we should have more dynamic characters than that it's funny fear the boot just today released an episode about uh battered group syndrome we're gonna have to talk about that at some point because I think that is absolutely a real thing oh yes badly scarred uh, abused players and maybe even GMs but I think groups as a whole and yeah Chrissy's raising her hand for a reason
1: we <laughs> we are um, we're an audio only podcast Chrissy <laughs> even the other host can't see when you do that. <laughs>
2: This is not a podcast about why it took Grant six years to talk me into doing a game.
0: No, no. We'll do that another episode.
3: <laughs> yeah. <we've, okay.
0: laughs> we might make you a regular host. Sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: gender parity, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. You know what? This
1: actually bears mentioning because this is the first time we have ever achieved that. The closest that we got prior to this was the fitness episode where it was, what, three female hosts and four male ones on there?
3: Uh, three male, two female.
0: Yeah, three to yeah. two. Okay, you added two extra people. And <laughs> trust me, I edited that. I know there were seven tracks. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, back it's to clothing. A later Everything
1: than we usually record. My internal counter is off. Everything <laughs> is off. It's okay.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. once we get past the basic function of covering nakedness, though, we use clothing to present ourselves in a certain way, and the same goes for. All the other aspects of our physical appearance, our hairstyle, you know, tattoos, piercings, you know, hats, symbols we wear, jewelry, all of this stuff. It's how we want to be perceived. And it's a quick indicator of all of these things. You know, how do I identify myself? What are my interests? What is my socioeconomic status? What's my lifestyle? What am I interested in right now?
1: Okay, so kind of with the preamble out of the way, now we have kind of hit the point where the expert in the room, our guest host, can really shine. So, Chrissy, (laughs) tell us about how we quickly and effectively describe all of this stuff that our characters are trying to send various messages with.
2: All right, well, you can send a lot of messages about a character with just a few descriptors. The first and the most obvious is the fit and style of the clothing. The better tailored, the better fitting a piece of clothing is, the more time and money has been spent on it. So it's the difference between grabbing whatever you can get and having a full suit tailored just to you. How current is it with fashion? Is it a couple of years out of date? Is it the cutting edge of fashion right now? Mm Mm-hmm. Have you had it designed? Is it something that you found in a chest, like Cinderella's dress?
0: (laughs) Was it fit to someone else and now it's yours? Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. And another thing with fit is how much fabric is in it.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, I want you to elaborate on this a little bit, because there are some garments out there that have a lot more fabric in them than you would think just by looking at them. So Kilts.
2: Yes, kilts kilts are like that. A ton of fabric because you need about three inches to get one inch
3: of kilt with all the
2: pleating Mm -hmm. in it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention the, in traditional kilts, at least the uh, cloth that then gets thrown over the shoulder and tucked Mm -hmm. back in. Yeah. So it's, it's a huge amount of fabric. It's it's a huge amount and patterned fabric If you want it to look
2: good, you need a lot more patterned fabric because you have to match the patterns when you cut it. You can't just lay the pattern pieces out to get the most effective use of your fabric. You have to carefully look at where all your seam lines are going to hit so that if you have stripes, when you sew the pieces together, the stripes continue unbroken through the garment. That's actually why in like the Walmart and such um, button-down shirts, The print on the pocket is turned diagonal to the print on the shirt so that they don't have to worry about matching any stripes. They've made it a design element to have the pattern offset Hmm. so that there's no expectation
1: of matching. Is that why they do that panel like uh, across the back of the shoulders that same way?
2: Yes. Because I've seen that too. Yes, Mm -hmm. and there also is that um, movement pleat in the back that changes the way the lines would fall. But yes, that is why that goes a different way, is to stop you expecting the lines to continue Hmm. and being distracted by that line when it doesn't. But a good example of fabric use is during World War II and the rationing, women wore very slender dresses, the dresses that they could make with the least amount of fabric, almost no pleating. If there were, it was tiny pleats. And then in the 50s, you get these fitted to the waist, and then these full skirts, and it was both an attempt to re-feminize women who had been doing men's work, you know, and take them back from Rosie the Riveter to the housewife and hostess, and also a way to revel in being able to have that much fabric in your dress again.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, wasn't a lot of fabric not only being used in things like uniforms, but also parachutes and stuff during world mm-hmm. war ii you parachutes gliders silk. um
0: the silk
2: was going to parachutes mm-hmm. so and women were doing silk stockings at that point so i believe that's when nylons were mm-hmm. or what drove nylons being invented as a replacement for silk stockings
0: yep and in fact i know uh often you just have women use makeup to paint a line up the back of their leg to make it look like there's a stocking seam there when in fact they're not wearing anything mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you still want to have that nod to expectations and
2: propriety. propriety. Having your legs uncovered was risque. There's the line in Chicago's uh, all that jazz. I'm going to rouge my knees and roll my stockings down. Mm -hmm. I'm going to draw attention to the fact that my legs are bare.
0: And yeah, so if you're in a game where, let's say you're in a very poor area, just describing somebody as having full skirts or flowing robes indicates that they've got a different socioeconomic status than everyone else around them who is scraping by with, you know, what fabric they can get.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Also saying that somebody has, like, in a fantasy or rural setting implying that somebody has pure white clothes
0: is Mm -hmm. another Mm -hmm.
3: indication because they just haven't the opportunity to get them dirty
0: or they've got somebody to launder them regularly Mm -hmm. because a working person isn't going to be able to launder their clothes on a regular basis all the time Mm
2: -hmm. especially if you don't have a washing machine and it has to be done by hand
0: also they got bleach somewhere yeah yeah Yeah. Bleach is not easy to come by and is kind of toxic and annoying to work with. How did you get that pure white?
1: Mm -hmm. The answer is you paid somebody for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or you magicked it up, I suppose, in a fantastical enough setting. Yeah, Is this where we want to talk about fabric?
2: We can certainly move into fabric. Another easy indicator of where someone falls in the world is the fabric that makes up their clothes. You know, how common is the fabric and the fibers um, example of silk was phenomenally expensive because when China had a monopoly on silk, they had to cross a massive desert with few oases. It was a terribly dangerous trip, but it was worth it to get something no one else had to sell. Mm-hmm. There was a city in the desert that's entire existence was due to these caravans coming to get silk and other things that could only be bought from China.
0: Yep, tea as well, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Likewise, how work-intensive fabric is to make matters a great deal.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, there's a big difference between homespun linen and velvet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or modern artificial materials
1: like you know nylon, rayon, mm-hmm. polyester, that sort of thing. You can't
0: mm-hmm. make that at home. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, those performance fabric T-shirts that breathe really well when you exercise and stuff. You really can't weave that up at home. <laughs> right. no.
3: Not
2: so much. And, you know, it depends uh, how much space you have
3: for a loom. You know, how much time do you have to do this? Mm-hmm. You've also got the question of of how sturdy you want mm-hmm. or you need the fabric to be. Yeah. Because if you're wearing a light silk shirt, you are not gonna be going out into a farm field in your nice, you know, silk shirt because it's gonna rip, it's gonna tear, it's gonna stain real bad.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And you you have to, you know, be wearing something relatively sturdy like linen or wool if you want your clothing to hold up for any length of time. Velvet crushes if you do anything in
0: it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not wearing velvet into the forge. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you are, you're not lifting anything.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, or, you know, you'll go in and he'll be like, hey, look, he're, he's wearing velvet in the... F- well, now uh, now he's an axe, okay? Um... <laughs> hey, look, this guy tried to wear
0: velvet into the forge, and now he's wearing burn scars. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. And, of course embellishments matter, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the, the fabric is one thing, but what you put on it is something else. Yeah.
2: I, anything beading, embroidery has to be done by hand. Yeah, in, in most, most fantasy settings because they don't have factories that do this. And embroidery or cross-stitch is very time intensive. Uh, about a square inch of cross-stitch can take an hour depending mm-hmm. on how complicated the design is. So mm-hmm. if you expand that to a whole design, you're looking at hours of work poured into this. Yep. Mm-hmm. All those tapestries you see in the castles in England, a lot of them were woven by monks who would go blind because all they mm-hmm. did all day was do
3: these little stitches of embroidery. In candlelight. In candlelight. Like in very low light, like incredible detail work in just the worst light conditions for... Per- And just as an amusing
2: aside, when I was in England at one of the castles, I saw a tapestry, and the guide pointed this out, but it was a hunting scene with several horses and some dogs, and some of the dogs had been embroidered with horse hooves (gasps) because (laughs) they were just, they were doing (laughs) their thing, and they weren't paying attention, and they came to the end of a leg, and they did a hoof because that's what they had been doing. But this is because this is what they did so much. They just kind of automatically kept doing horse hooves. And so Uh at least one of the dogs had hooves. It was hilarious. And I wish I could have gotten it. (laughs) And you can't redo that. And this is how new mythological
1: creatures get created.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Tired weavers. And in (laughs)
0: modern times, we can still spot the difference between... Off the rack jewelry or uh, costume off, jewelry. Yeah, costume jewelry, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, versus something unique to that person. And we know that there's certain meaning there, right? Print mm-hmm. on a t-shirt. Like if you know if I'm wearing a print tee, it's probably bought off a shelf somewhere. You know, maybe it's a, a concert t-shirt or a convention t-shirt or a saving the game t-shirt. But it's something somebody else has designed, it's not necessarily unique to you. But it also says something, because what are you interested in presenting to the world? If you're wearing a Saving the Game t-shirt, well, that identifies you as a Saving the Game listener. Maybe that's something you want to talk about. If I'm wearing a t-shirt from a convention, if it's a gaming convention, that indicates to the world around me, these are my interests. If I'm wearing a t-shirt that I got from some work convention, you know, one of those big conference sort of things, well, that tells me what sort of industry I'm in. So on and so forth. So those embellishments aren't just about the effort and labor that go into it, but they also have meaning. Maybe there's a birthstone worked into the jewelry or twelve stones of particular religious significance. Things like that.
2: Or the clergy almost always has crosses worked into their clothes Mm -hmm. at certain time periods. Mm -hmm. So you can tell by looking at them, they are a member of the clergy. They have the religious symbols literally emblazoned on their clothes.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and even if you don't have the crosses, a lot of uh, priests will wear the clerical collar. So you've got, Mm -hmm. you know, the dark collar Mm -hmm. with the the little white square at the front of the neck there. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: I know uh, our former pastor, he would wear like his regular black shirt, white collar thing. He would just wear that to the grocery store (laughs) because it was a conversation starter. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. It's funny. You say black shirt, white collar. That immediately makes me think that's a priest, that's a pastor of some sort, right? Mm -hmm. It's specifically a black shirt and a white collar because we've created that association with color. Yep. And I know you've got a lot to say about color.
2: Oh, yay color. So why do we have the color associations we do? Sometimes it's tradition. Sometimes it's money. It usually comes down to money at the very beginning. But the reason, for example, purple is seen as a royal color is because when the purple dye was first discovered, it was prohibitively work intensive. You had to collect shells or snails and crush them to get a minute bit of purple dye out of their shell. So it would take hundreds or thousands of snails to dye a piece of fabric. So only the fabulously wealthy, like royalty, could afford a purple cloth. This, Uh you know, translates into Christianity. We often show Jesus draped with purple because while he was poor, he is also our God and our King. And so we have given him this purple cloth as an indicator that he is divine and holy and above us all, even though literally he was very poor.
0: King of kings, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. And likewise, the white that we often you know see Jesus dressed in in religious imagery, white's purity. You know, again, clean mm-hmm. clothes that that sort of thing, uh, an unblemished color, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it relates to that you know that unblemished lamb for sacrifice as well. But you've got something interesting about saffron robes.
2: Yes, saffron robes are the indicator of ascetics in India. And as near as I can tell, it actually grows across religious lines. Uh, People who practice Jainism, the different flavors of Hinduism, Buddhists, most of the ascetics will wear saffron robes. And it is an immediate indicator that this is a holy man. And so people will offer them aid, they will bring them food, they will stand and listen to them. Only the teachers and the men who have given up everything and are seeking enlightenment wear that type of robe. Mm -hmm. So again, you automatically know a lot about this person as soon as you see the color of his clothes.
0: And traditionally, the more colors you have, the more work and expense go into a garment. Really, that's true even today. You know, the single color t-shirt is cheaper than a shirt made with multiple colors just because you have to have more materials going into it. Let's say I'm making a suit or something and it's going to have multiple colors in it. Well, there's going to be wastage from each piece I've bought from, and so the overall cost goes up.
2: And color Mm -hmm. can shift over time and across cultures. In Hinduism, white is the color of mourning. In Western culture, white is the color of weddings. Mm -hmm. But it hasn't always been that way. Women would wear their best dress to get married in. Royalty would usually wear a ball gown to get married in. I believe it was Queen Victoria was the first one to wear white to her wedding. And mm-hmm. it was because they had opened it up and allowed the public to see part of the wedding. And the white was to mark her so that everyone could see her and know this is Queen Victoria. Mm-hmm. And then once the queen did it,
3: everyone did it. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people, at least it's starting with people my age, were starting to sort of shy away from the white, the white wedding dress again. Because <laughs> wedding dresses that are marked as wedding dresses are automatically more expensive <laughs> than like just a really nice prom dress or something Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. the 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 price is significant and people my age are dirt poor most of the time (laughs) so we just can't afford it and it's it's getting back around to white being a sign of wealth again yeah yeah Yeah. i mean honestly add wedding to anything and you triple the price (laughs) yeah
1: it's disgusting (laughs) yeah pro tip for for um listeners that are thinking about getting married at some point in the future do your wedding as cheaply as possible make as much of the decorations and clothing and that sort of thing as you can yourself your Mm -hmm. future selves will thank your past self
0: and focus on fellowship with your friends not stuff no one's gonna remember what the food tasted like they might remember yeah it was all right it wasn't great Mm -hmm. but you'll remember time with friends and who was there and that sort of thing but that's a digression um, one last note, though. When we talk about Joseph's coat of many colors, that is a luxurious gift because there are so many colors that go into making one coat. That's a really incredible gift to give one person. Small wonder that his brothers were jealous.
2: Yeah, I mean, And oh, yeah. how they would have done it, they would have had to get thread of a lot of different colors and then weave a pattern. So they would be constantly changing out the threads that they were weaving with and creating this pattern. Mm-hmm. For the coat, mm-hmm.
0: we really didn't even mention the uh, Old Testament injunction to not wear clothing of mixed fibers. Yep, but that's an interesting one mm-hmm. in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, did we touch on condition?
2: We've kind of danced around condition. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. it's pretty easy. Is it new? Is it well worn? Does it look like it's been repurposed mm-hmm. from so or cut down from someone larger mm-hmm.
3: or yeah. let out? are there patches are there yeah. like bits where it's had to be, you know, gathered a little more at the waist or whatever. Yeah, I mean if you see someone
2: Stuff coming like down and they have a band of brighter color on another at the seams, they've had to let it out. Mm-hmm.
0: Thanks for listening to the first half of our conversation with Chrissy about clothing and character appearance. We actually talked about this for nearly an hour and 45 minutes far longer than could fit into a single episode, so we're going to finish this up next week as we discuss cultural and vocational clothing, technology and appearance, modesty, the importance of looking past clothing and appearance as Christians, and resources for character portraits and models. We'll catch you then. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license, our logo is by Ruben smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at Nihalore.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.